If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. So I'm going to start a series on faith, F-A-I-T-H, go through some uh, five sermons now that we've moved away from who's your one. Uh, really want to focus on post-Easter. Easter was the resurrection of Christ, and now we live within that power. But the primary issue as we live our lives is faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. And therefore, as believers, as we've trusted in Jesus Christ, that we want to live our faith in him out before a lost and dying world. So that's what this series is about, faith. Today we're going to look at F, a fearless faith. As we look at Isaiah, one of, uh, it's a master work by Isaiah. Scholars divided into three different sections, some divided into two. I think it's probably three. But let's look at Isaiah for a moment. First of all, his name means Yahweh is salvation, or proper Yodehavev is salvation. His ministry was 58 years. It started under the reign of King Uzziah and ended under King Manasseh. King Manasseh was an evil king. He was also the epitome of the time frame after Uzziah. The problem with Israel was that they had veered away from God. They had moved away from him, and Isaiah now is calling them back. Beautiful verses, by the way, today. Um, but anyway, Isaiah was martyred under Manasseh. The date, sometime around 739 B.C., so 750 years before Christ is when Isaiah wrote. And the, what he wrote was so magnificent. It's uh, amazing how God used Isaiah. The key to Isaiah is faithfulness, righteousness, and justice. Exactly what was missing in Isaiah's days. All those who were in power lacked faithfulness, they, they were unrighteous, and they lacked justice. You think of Isaiah, think of it this way. The poor became poorer, and the rich became richer. It was just a corrupt system. And so the, the Israelites went through a period of Babylonian captivity because of it. It's a good reminder for all of us that when we sin, there will be a time of captivity. God's always standing ready to bring us back into the fold. And Isaiah reveals that beautifully here in chapter 43 as, as we... We're fast-forwarding a lot of chapters, but uh, kind of give you a little context here. When we think about Isaiah, you, you have to think about the covenant of God. Though not explicitly explained here, all the elements are involved. First of all, there was wrath and grace. We'll experience God's grace this morning in these verses. But there was wrath. God allowed the nation of Israel to go into Babylonian captivity for some 70 years. 
There's also curses and blessings. If you do this, I will bless you. If you do this, I will curse you. And the nation of Israel had certainly experienced that. The big thing about the covenant of God, the huge thing, which is apparent even in the New Testament. We live in the New Testament, obviously. But one of the great things about God is that God is faithful. We see here that he's going to pay any price for his people. This is so New Testament in its theology and in its practice. So let's look at what we uh, learn here today through Isaiah. First of all, we learn that we're God's possession. We're God's possession, verse 1. We start with the intimacy. But now says the Lord. But now says the Lord. Isaiah is looking forward to a new day. Yes, you went through difficulties. Yes, you went through hardships. Yes, because of your sin and wayward life, you paid a price for it. But now, now there's going to be a new day, kind of like salvation. When we trust in Jesus Christ, the old life is done, the new life comes. Isaiah now is offering a wonderful issue of grace before the people of Israel. And then he launches into this intimacy. He who created you, old Jacob, Isaiah 40, 27 Israel is equated with Jacob, and so you could say he's addressing the nation of Israel. And the word created, bara, you know, back in the day, um, back when I was in the, in the doctorate program having to learn languages, I was much more comfortable with the Greek language. When it got to the Hebrew language, I thought, man, this is really tough because you read everything like this. <laughs> it's, it's right to left. And I actually did better on Hebrew. Maybe God was teaching me something through that, but I did better in Hebrew. This, this word bara is the same word that is used in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. He takes them all the way back to Genesis. If you trace the etymology of this word, it means to make something that has not existed before. To make something that has not existed before. Now, I said that there's a, there's a progression here. Uh, if, you, if we just read it real quick. He who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. I have called you by name. You are mine. So if we look at the progression, we've already seen which means to create something new that did not exist before. The second word is yatsal, which is the word for formed. So here you have God. Now I want you to look at how God is doing, how Isaiah is picturing God. God is the initiator. We are the benefactors. So in the beginning, God created the nation of Israel. He created them. But then he goes to form them, yatsal, that means to fashion or to shape. And you could think of a potter's wheel where they would, uh, the, the potter would put the clay and he would put just a right amount of pressure to shape whatever vessel the potter wants to make. 
part of the formation does happen in the desert. Part of your formation in Christ. He is constantly at work shaping and forming you. Beautiful image here. Ga'al is the word for redeemed. This word ga'al means to buy back or to pay a price and to bring out of slavery. And you can't miss the connections with the uh, Egyptian bondage, but also the Babylonian bondage. It's like God is saying a new day is coming. There's going to be this redemptive part, which, by the way, I have been shaping you so that I can use you as a vessel worthy of me. And we think about our lives, and we think about how God shapes us through trials and tribulations, through hardships, through pain, sometimes through sin, where we have to learn our own mistakes, and God begins to shape us and mold us. And then there's kara, kara, which is the word called you. And that means, this is beautiful, listen to this, to summon someone into the presence of someone. Look at this. It's God's work all the way through. Created, formed, redeemed, called. It's an, these are beautiful intimacy words that Isaiah use, uses to bring out the issue of intimacy with God. And by the way, this last word, called, is used in the sense of marriage. So when we go back to Mount Sinai, we know that God married the nation of Israel. Uh, the word con uh, covenant means to cut a contract. And so God cut a contract with the nation of Israel. There were stipulations. There were regulations. Yes. And when they veered from that, God dealt with them as he was forming them even though all the while God is going to redeem him because unlike the nation of Israel and unlike its leaders, God is faithful and will fulfill everything that he has spoken. We think about our lives and we think about all of our lives and we look at how God is, he created us in Christ, he is forming us, he has certainly redeemed us, when we look at the cross, he paid a great price to get us back and to move us from bondage of sin to salvation and grace. And then he calls us to be his own. When we think about us in particular, I want to make a couple of notes here. First of all, he created us new. We were once dead in sin and separated and God gives us new life in Christ. He is shaping us into the image of his son. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with the ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Listen, you are being transformed. Sometimes that transformation takes a long time. You think about the nation of Israel. They were constantly up and down, up and down. But through those ups and downs, God was transforming the nation of Israel. 
And sometimes our own sin gets us into trouble. I understand that. But here you have the idea of intimacy. And Christ on Good Friday, which we just celebrated, went to the cross to buy us back. He took nails in his hands and his feet. They mocked him. And the reason that he did that is for you. And that was the length that which God went to to redeem us. And the, the word redeem also means to pay an ultimate price for something. And here Isaiah is saying, look, nation of Israel, I know the past has been checkered. But I want you, Israel, to understand that God loves you. And maybe in your own lives and in your own day right now, even today, you feel like everything is crumbling, that you can't do anything right, that you failed God. I want to encourage you this morning that he loves you. And to remember this, nobody is too far gone that God can't reach down and save. And by the way, we do live in his presence. Did you know that we are the bride of Christ? He is our groom. That's covenant language. And so I want you to remember that this morning, the intimacy of God. Now the big problem is the challenge. So Israel has faced all of this. I left out a word here. Actually, two words. Yara, which means fear not. And it means being in a state of feeling great distress or deep concern. The word literally means to be frightened. Let me ask you a question. Are you frightened this morning? Is there something in your life that you're, afraid, that you're frightened of, you're scared of? We all have it. And sometimes those fears are good for us to bring us back to a reasonable faith. But ultimately, God's people have to trust him. That's the ultimate, is to trust him. And Isaiah says, fear not. A great verse in Isaiah 41, a couple of chapters backwards from where we are 41:10 fear not for i am with you be not dismayed for i am your god i will strengthen you yes i will help you i will uphold you with my righteous hand so as you <clears throat> live your lives I think the biggest challenge we have in our faith at different times in our lives is being fearful over something that God has already promised. And so as we live it, we're required to do faith. We're required just to trust him. Now, do you know that God has promised to care for you and love you? Do you know that God will never let anything come against you that will ultimately take you down? Did you know that? Israel was living proof. Yes, they sinned. Yes, they stumbled. Mostly, I think, the leaders. But so goes the leader, so goes the people. 
Here you have in Isaiah a reminder that no matter what comes against you in your life, no matter what is going on in your life, God has your back. And we can rejoice in that. Yeah, though the mountains shake and though the seas rage, but I know the one who has redeemed me and paid for me and has promised that nothing will come against me that will ultimately break me. He may be using it to shape me, but it won't break me. There's a big difference. I remember, uh, it has been several years ago, uh, when I had cancer surgery at the VA. And uh, I remember they said we had, to, we had to go on your face. And I said, well, first of all, I'm going to be completely under for this. <laughs> I don't want that. And I tell you what, I was very, very anxious about that. I get even more anxious. They, I think I told the anesthetist three, anesthetist three times, please make sure I'm out because I've had this surgery before in a different part and I woke up and I looked at the doctor and I said, how's it going? And he went, <laughs> when they wheeled me in that day, I didn't realize it at the time, but they put you on a little table. And I saw the clock and I made a joke. I said, I see you've got the death clock there. And the doctor said, no, it's not the death clock. But I was scared and I looked one last time and I asked her, would you make sure I'm under? The next thing I remember, I was in recovery and the nurse said, cough. And then I didn't cough loud enough for her and she said, cough! And I go, <coughs> and then I start coming out of it. I was scared to death. I understand fear, I understand scared. So does Isaiah. Here you have a people that have gone through a difficult period. And now Isaiah is writing, wait a minute. God loves us. He created us. He formed us. He redeemed us. He called us by name. Therefore, Israel, fear not. So I can tell you this morning, fear not. Isn't that good news? Fear not. God walks with us through the difficulties of life. There is no fear in love, but perfect love dries out fear because fear has to do with punishment, Israel. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And so the whole Christian life, the whole Christian experience is to let go of fear and learn to allow the love of God to permeate our hearts and our lives. And again, whether it's a surgery, whether it's anything, I understand Fear is real. But ultimately, God has our lives in his hand. And we can trust him. Not only are we God's possession, but God journeys with us. This is beautiful, by, by the way. Notice verse 2. When you pass through the waters and through the rivers, when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. Waters to rivers, fires to flame. Now there's several ways to interpret verse 2. 
There are several ways. One way is a, a reference to the Babylonian captivity. When the nation of Israel was taken, they were taken into to captivity. That's one way. However, the language here based on verse 1 suggests a deliverance. Not going into something. So, I'm going to disagree with a third of the scholars that I read this week that this is a reference to them going into judgment. It could be a reference to God's judgment on the nation of Israel, and that's certainly true. God did judge them. They were in Babylonian captivity. They had, been, they had difficult times. But here what I'm looking at and what I see in this text is actually an exodus. It's actually an exodus. God formed you. He redeemed you. He created you. He called you. Therefore, when the floods come and when the fires come, they will not touch you. They will not overthrow you. So what do I think it is? I think it's this. Here, you see all of these Rivers, the Euphrates, they have to cross all of this. There's a lot of fires in these areas, brush fires, things like that. It is very possible that when he's mentioning this, I'm taking you out of here, you're going home, and therefore any obstacle that you encounter going home will not hurt you, will not overtake you, will not hinder your ability to reach Israeli soil or the Holy Land. You know, as I thought about this, isn't that our lives? God delivers us and then our whole focus at least as I understand the New Testament and the Apostle Paul, our whole goal is to cross the finish line. But to get to the finish line, boy, is it difficult, right? It is fraught with danger and hardships and trials and all of these things. It is a struggle. But boy, when we get to that finish line and we cross over, and something else to remember, the nation of Israel, God protected them. The journey was arduous. The journey was fraught with danger, true. But God was going to be with them. He walks with them like he walks with us each and every day. We do not go alone. We go with one who has all power in his hand. And so as we live our lives and as we pilgrimage with God, He is walking with us. And to kind of peek ahead for a minute, there's the promise. These are the difficulties. Though the waters rage and though the rivers rage and though the fires rage and all of these things may happen. Notice what he says in verse 2. I will be with you. They shall not overwhelm you. 
you shall not be burned. The flames shall not consume you. James writes, count it all joy with the fiery trials that we encounter in life. Because they do have benefits. You see what Isaiah is doing here? He's turning us back. He gives great comfort in verse 1. I created you. I formed you. I redeemed you. I called you. Fear not. He's having us turn back. Trust God. And then on the journey, on this journey that they were on, he says, look, you're going to encounter a lot of problems in life. A lot of hardships in life. But no matter what it is, I am with you. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that comforting to know that God is with us? He understands the midnight tears of your life. He does. He understands your struggle. Maybe today you're struggling with something. God knows that. And so it's easy just to say, God, this is where I am in my life. Please help me. Beautiful words here. Beautiful words by Isaiah. Et. That's the Hebrew word. Be with. Et. That word means to be beside someone. Wait a minute. This is Yodehave, the Old Testament God. He's going to be with Israel we have Jesus Christ who walks with us every day. And so in those times of life, whether surgery, anything, we need to ultimately say, God, my times are in your hands and I am going to trust you with it. We're talking here particularly about difficulties. It was difficult for them to go into captivity. It's going to be difficult for them to go out. The difference is God is walking out with them. Do you have a trial that you're going through this morning? Do you have a hardship that you're going through this morning? Just turn it over to him. God, I'm going to trust you with this. And I'm going to ask that you minister to my heart in the midst of this suffering and hardship. James Smith, in his commentary, wrote this. No matter what the danger, Israel would survive. Isaiah pictured the nation on a journey. Absolutely can't miss it. I like quoting guys that I agree with. Raging streams and wild prairie fires would not destroy her. Their safety was guaranteed by God's presence. And let me tell you this morning, and those of you that are watching by Facebook, God goes with you. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. And I don't know what hardship you have going on in your life this morning, but I can honestly tell you, no matter what it is, as difficult as it is, and sometimes 
we fail and lack faith that God will protect us that he is there and he is with you one of the most beautiful verses in all of scripture comes from the Old Testament I think me personally it's Leviticus 26 I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people that sounds like the New Testament to me Yodeh Havev Elohim the creator of the universe walks and he cares for people sometimes our faith will be tested we're talking specifically this morning about hardships and trials sometimes our faith will be tested in the furnace and sometimes we will fail trust me we will fail but that doesn't mean that God is still not there wonderful words here from Isaiah beautiful words we're God's possession he walks with us through the storms and fiery trials there's one more thing about what Isaiah says here not only are we God's possession and he walks with us through the storms and trials of life but he is also our savior verse 3 for I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel your savior You see how he went from personal, God takes the initiative in the relationship, and then he will sustain you through trials and hardships. And by the way, we have some beautiful names of God here. His titles. I'm going to teach you Hebrew this morning. Wake up. I'm going to teach you Hebrew. Everybody say Yodehavev. Okay, that's the Lord. And that word means the one true God. And by the way, the Israelites don't say the whole name of God because they believe that's blasphemy. He's too holy. He is the one true God, meaning he is the creator. He's the Genesis 1 creator of the world. The second word I want you to say, you probably already know this word, is Elohim. Elohim. That word means majesty and strength. Elohim. Majesty and strength. What, look at what Isaiah is doing. The one true God who is strong and he's majestic. You see what he's doing? He's supporting the idea of verse 1. Fear not. You see in that, right? He's supporting that. The next word is kadosh. Okay, that was a little weak. Let's, let's try it. Kadosh. 
There you go. That sounds good. And that word means sacred and pure. The Holy One. Sacred and pure. Do you see now a little bit why Christ had to come and do what we could not do? Because God is holy and pure and the only way to get to heaven is to have Jesus who paid for our sin. Moshiach. All right, one, let's, let's do that one more time. Moshiach. There you go. That's good. So you've learned, you've learned Hebrew this morning. And that means deliverer or rescuer. That's the God that we worship. To deliver out of danger our rescuer. You know, people go through a lot people go through a lot of hardships. I can think of several that I know of in this church and that used to be belong to this church that are going through difficult stuff. And I mean really difficult stuff. And what a great reminder for us and for them that God has this. And if it's like myself, I have to be reminded over and over and over again that nothing is going to overtake us. And there's nothing in your life right now that God doesn't know about. And there's nothing in your life right now that God is going to abandon you. God is with you in the midst of the storms and the trials and the heartaches. And we have the names of God who is strong, who is sacred, who is pure, who is deliverer. Maybe that helps you this morning in whatever you have going on in your life. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That's who he is. That's who he is. His titles, and there's many of them. You study the Old Testament, there's many titles for God. But what he does shows who he is. Now, let's read the last part of verse 3, and then we're going to close. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you. Cush and Sheba, Seba, in exchange for you. Now, I, the word ransom is kofair, which means payment. So, again, scholars are divided here, but I think what the reference is to Egypt is obviously the plagues on Egypt. How many plagues were there? How many? Wasn't there, wasn't there ten plagues? 
what was the last plague? The firstborn. Egypt paid a high price. Egypt paid a high price. They also paid a high price for keeping the people of God in bondage. And so he says, I give Egypt as your ransom. Cush and Seba. Now this is an interesting Sennacherib who was an Assyrian king going back having to study a little bit of the history here. Uh, he was heading to Israel to avenge his father's defeat at the hand of the Israelites. So wonderful. So here this Assyrian king is bearing down on the nation of Israel. And watch what God does. Watch what he did. They're coming in, marching to the promised land, and God turns their army to the south of Egypt. God diverted the Assyrians to the southern part of Egypt. You're not touching the Israelites. And God took control and moved them south. The word tahat, tahat means in place of. God said, okay, you guys can have that in place of Israel. The Assyrians are not a fun group of people, by the way. They were brutal to their enemies. And God turned them. Would not allow them to take the Israelites. It's quite amazing. It's quite amazing. It is a reminder what God does is he protects you and me. He protects us. Please know that this morning. You are protected by God. No matter what comes against you, it may hurt, it may sting, but it ultimately will not defeat you. Because our God is a great God, a loving God, a caring God, and a protecting God. God. And so what God calls us to is a fearless faith. Know this, we are God's possession, we do not walk alone, and that God will deliver us. And someday ultimately will deliver us into his presence when we see him face to face.